That was the meme that broke the camel's back, which is, it feels <laughs> the so meme just... meme that broke the camel's back <laughs> is the quote of the day. <laughs> are listening to pomegranates and pitchforks welcome we are welcome listener welcome <laughs> listeners <laughs> <laughs> we are classy vampires we are a horror and true crime podcast that brings true stories and not so true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony i am your host alexandria young ray with my co-host, the lovely Sunshine Bellon. Howdy, y'all. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> Again, super, uh, super relevant for today's topic. I've been doing a lot of thinking uh, since our last recording just about being in a rural community and the everyday elements of nationalism or neo-nazism or just uh right wing fanaticism and it was really interesting how you know obviously since trump became president uh that's a really good like marker to go yes yeah. i am very aware of white supremacy in this nation now mm-hmm. right uh but but even since then you know i'm pretty i i go to work and i come home and i go to work and i come home and i go fishing and i come home like i don't mm-hmm. I just don't have a lot of occasion to interact with society. And so it was really easy for me to kind of ignore yeah. what I was seeing kind of in my own community. And then uh, this weekend going out with Sam and doing stuff, there's just so many little things you say, see everywhere. Like there's the store, the, the Bluebell store that is cute. It's just Bluebell is like the tiniest town in the world. There's probably only like maybe a hundred people there if they're lucky. <laughs> and this, the city center air quotes is uh the Bluebell store and the park across the street. And the park across the street has always had like a big American flag painting with the In God We Trust thing there. And like, that's always just been one of those things that I grew up seeing and just kind of was like, well, they wrote it off as like, well, their values are different than mine. I don't care about that. Right. Right. But then going into the Bluebell store most recently, <laughs> the first thing you see is this big blue and white printed like poster size sign that says, we are politically incorrect. We say Merry Christmas. We say God bless you. We say, you know, I forget. It was like a whole list of things like that that are like, like politically charged statements, but also not really the most offensive thing to anybody. It's like the stuff, the stuff that conservatives think offends liberal snowflakes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, okay, weird, but no. And then at the very end, it's like, if you don't like it, you're welcome to leave our country kind of thing. Right. And then, yeah, I'm just like, (laughs) okay. And it was okay-ish. Don't just leave the store, leave the country. Until you got to that one. Yeah, like, exactly. It was okay-ish. It was kind of like uh, uninformed and maybe a little insensitive up until that point. And then I was like, ugh. Yeah. And like, we're in there getting ice cream cones. I'm like, well, fuck, I'm still getting an ice cream cone. (laughs) Like, we drove all the way up here. Like, I still want ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I guess to make a long story a little bit shorter, I, before I would see those things and kind of eye roll, mm-hmm. you know, just be like, oh, you know, almost that sort of, oh, poor, stupid conservatives kind of thing. <laughs> just like, oh, you guys are silly. <laughs> you really think that's how the world is? You know, that kind of thing. 
And now, again, even just since recording our last show, all week, all week, everything, I see all these little signs everywhere. Like there are so many don't tread on me snakes and second amendment things. And you know, the barbershop my grandpa goes to is a super cool barbershop. You can sit on a motorcycle where you get your hair cut. But the guy who runs it like sells all of this, like all these t-shirts and stuff that like the proceeds go to second amendment lawyers and shit like, like so much gun rights, so much anti-immigration, so much. And I think especially when conservative values are paired with like right to bear arms shit, it makes me uncomfortable and I've started getting, I've started feeling genuinely scared at a lot of times. And I mean, I'm not a target, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really easy for me to blend in, in this community. Right. But uh, so so much so that people are open about their racist conservative shit. Oh, I mean, (sighs) dude, I told you about that guy that like fucking randomly came up and sat next to me and spouted some anti-Chinese bullshit at me. Right. This sounds vaguely familiar. Was it recently? It was a long time ago. Oh, it was okay. like right before I started law school. But, you know, I'm I'm white. And so I appear like in crowd. Right. But, you know, that means that you can't tell that my family's Chinese. Right, exactly. And so this dude comes and just sits next to me. And I'm literally like reading for class. Like I'm getting my summer reading done so that I can do the like intro week for fucking mm-hmm. law school. And... This dude comes and sits next to me and starts talking to me, which is, like, its own problem that's neither here nor there, but, ugh, fuck off. And then, out of nowhere, he just starts, like, shitting on, like, Mexicans and how they're so lazy, and then... And then he just one-ups himself and goes, like, and those Chinese people, you know, they'll fucking screw you over. And I was... And I was just sitting there just, like, in shock, being like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're saying these things to a stranger? Yeah. And, like, my blood was boiling. Like, I've, I finally understand, like, that sensation of getting hot when you're angry. Yeah. And I was gonna start screaming at him when he got distracted by somebody who was like, oh, hey, Gary Fuckface, whatever your name is. <laughs> and and he goes out and smokes with her and doesn't come back in to talk to me. And so I just am like, it, it it's like I got hit by a racist truck. You know? Right. Hit and run. Racist hit and business. run. I'm sorry. I promised I wouldn't go on any tangents, but just like all of these things feel connected to me. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. The the more you pay attention to like the sociology and politics and the stories and the you know, the the reality of the world that you live in, the more you notice it. I like to my my favorite sociology professor, the first class of hers that I took was um inequality through music and film, mm-hmm. which was basically like let's watch all of the things that you liked growing up and now and we'll talk about how they're actually kind of terrible. Yeah. And I tell her that she ruined media for me, but I like it. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And I think that that's kind of what I'm wrestling with is just trying to figure out how to take how to take a stand for the things that I believe in or at the very least not support people or businesses that I think are run by toxic people who I how how do I alter my life to suit my political values when my life is in such a rural microcosm right. that's very, very conservative? And 
I guess I'm realizing more and more, I have not seen anything that I would think would be violent, but I see more and more how I think that it is. I kind of am seeing it's like, oh, it's a perfect breeding ground for these kind of, for radicalized uh, right-wing groups. It really is. I mean, it has everything. It's just like we were talking about in the last show. Like, you go out into a rural community, Mm -hmm. like, perfect. Four Corners, (laughs) rural western states, perfect place to, you know, hang out in the sticks and spread fear-mongering conservative propaganda and guns. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, that's that's part of the Christian identity movement is, um, you know, white people go out west to form their... Right? Manifest destiny. Move yeah. west. Pursue your dreams. Follow that crazy church. So, yeah. We're just, we're just here to slowly ruin existence. Please enjoy the ride. Yay. <laughs> All right. Yay. Yeah. So, let's get back on Ruby Ridge. <laughs> let's get right on. Or back. onto at all, like let's not even back, just like Ruby let's Ridge. get onto it. <laughs> yeah. So, so first off, I got like most of my research from Slate. They did a podcast called Standoff What Happened at Ruby Ridge. Okay. And it was it was probably the best take on ruby ridge that i had ever seen because okay usually you either get the government side which is you know very cut and cleaned in a way that makes it look like the government didn't do anything wrong right which is often not accurate and part of the problem it adds fuel to the fire of people who are conservative and anti-government like they lie they you know yeah or you get stuff that is insanely conservative and is like basically lies about the other side of the story. And I actually I first heard this story through a Netflix documentary, I think just called it wasn't a Netflix documentary, it was a PBS documentary that I saw on Netflix. Right, right, okay. That was just called Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. And they were they were mostly nonpartisan but they were very they were very leaning randy reaver they really diminished some of his part of this story okay you know and and don't get me wrong like the government fucked up so this this story is kind of it's just it's just upsetting Mm -hmm. you know like this isn't i don't know i think this is a great example of it's complicated Right, that's what I was going to ask, is it kind of humanized, like, uh, you know, not not knowing the story. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't justify his actions, but I would think that a more balanced perspective would kind of humanize why somebody might end up being well, radicalized. the is, Randy Reaver, who is the main, you know, I, I guess main subject of this story, mm-hmm. he is definitely like the victim of this story. Okay. But he's also like a non-sympathetic character. Oh. But he is, but he isn't. Right. Maybe he's an empathetic character, but not a sympathetic character. You're like, ah, bud, that sucks, but I don't feel sorry for you. (laughs) I feel so sorry for him, but I'm also like, but you're still an asshole. Okay. Well, tell me why. Give me more info here. It's I want to understand the complications. We're gonna get that on the t- on a fucking t shirt. We're gonna get Pom- we're gonna get just pump pitch pod on the front. Say it's complicated, <laughs> and then maybe like fine print under them at pump pitch pod. <laughs> yeah, 
It's complicated. Um, and then we're going to have a, a t-shirt that says, uh, and that's the meme that broke the camel's back. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So, so the far right loves this story because, you know, bleached, if you take out the details, the mm-hmm. detailed details, it is the story of an innocent white man, sorry, an innocent white family being brutalized by the federal government. That's a very sympathetic story, isn't it? Yeah, it's super sympathetic, especially to the far right. Because, you know... They already they just want to see themselves as victims so badly. They want to see themselves as victims so bad. So, so the far right's all about this story. He is definitely like a folk hero to right wings. To the to the right wing. Okay. But so the the, the problem is both sides had this self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. The federal government went out looking for criminal white supremacist extremists, okay. and. Like you do. Created one. Oh, really? Yeah. And we'll get into How? it. How? We'll Ugh. get into it. <laughs> and the Weavers, the, the family, believed that the world was going to end. They kind of had that apocalyptic religious ideology that was also, like, white-centric. Like you do when you live in the rural West. That's, yeah. like, just the thing, right? Yeah. I mean, we'll get into that as well. You know, part of their belief that the world was going to end was that it was going to be caused by the federal government, like, overexerting its power. And then they ended up creating that exact situation for themselves. Uh, Ugh. Self-fulfilling prophecy coming out of something, a totally rational fear. Like, an irrational spin and a totally rational fear. Like, I'm afraid of the federal government ending the world, but not that exact same way. Well... In the, in the, you know, right. warfare, nuclear explosions, environmental destruction kind of way. We, we are just out of the Cold War when we really get into the throes of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but they thought that the Gulf War was like proof of the, you know, Zionist occupational government mm. that we talked about last time. And right. these stories actually are going to tie together. I swear to fucking God, these things tie together like popcorn on a string. so good euphemism so so randy weaver he's born in iowa january 3rd 1948 so he's my grandma's age oh randy weaver joined the army uh during vietnam Mm -hmm. and passed training to join the elite special forces but he he was able to quit before he actually got sent overseas so he never actually like saw combat okay which is like, I mean, good for him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he meets Vicki Jordison in the late 60s. So. Aw, Vicky. Victoria Jordison. And they're actually like a super cute couple. I know. That picture of them, it's, it's, they are really adorable. They look like yeah. such nice people. I, I honestly think that like they had the, a, a really solid loving relationship. It's such a shitty story. It's a good story. It's a, but like, it's complicated. It's complicated. Mm hmm. Period. So she's also born in Iowa, June 20th, 1949. So she's a year and a half younger than him. You know, totally normal age gap. And um, Vicky was raised on a farm. And she was raised in a break-off sect of Mormons. Told you. Like we were talking about I told you. I told you. I don't think that all Mormons are bad people. But I do think the Mormon religion really lends itself well to fanaticism and radicalization. Yeah. 
Well, and I was saying like, oh, well, you know, break off Mormonism comes up more than once in this story. And here it is. There you go. Uh, so you can see why I'm worried living in rural Utah. <laughs> yeah, you've seen fucking polygamous at the grocery store. So, so break off sect of Mormons who believed strongly in prophecy and the end times. Mm. So they were kind of apocalyptic. Okay. Which I feel like Mormons aren't. They are in a very pleasant way. Why do you think the whole one of the cornerstones of the church is like food storage and preparation? That's because of the whole we had to move out west because at any my point understanding we might have is that it's out. definitely because of because you can't you can kind of take well I guess you can take your food stores with you. My understanding is that that I mean maybe that's just from out here, but my understanding is that that very much relates to the end times is coming. Oh, I think that prepared. it just became survivalism and okay. prepping. Well, I guess whether it became or whether it started that I mean. Regardless, I definitely yeah. think that... Well, because, like, my family... That's an element of the culture. Stuff. And I think that's just, like, leftover Mormon heritage shit. Yeah, well, I think to an extent it totally is. You do food storage stuff. You've got tons of cans in your... <laughs> yeah, but it definitely doesn't meet the state. I, fr- I wish I could remember what it was. But I do believe that there is actually a church sort of mandated standard about how much food you're supposed to have stored. Yeah. And I think it's, like, a year per person. I don't person. think it's because of Apocalypse. Okay, well, maybe or, I'm wrong. That's or at least I don't think it's because they preach apocalypse. I'm not sure. Maybe I should ask some more. But I feel like the whole reason they like having a lot of kids is because they're trying to make all the souls of heaven be born onto earth so that the second coming will happen. No, no, they're no, literally... no, no, no. That's not what it is. They have to... Are you sure? It's not all the souls of heaven being born onto earth. It's all of the souls on earth being offered Christ. Oh, so the second coming won't happen until everyone at least has a chance to be a Mormon. Yeah. And I don't know if they believe in rapture. So then why do they have so many kids? Because that's definitely an element of the church. Because they want to have a huge kingdom in heaven. Oh, right. You got to have a big kingdom in heaven so you have lots of babies. Okay. Right. So that's narcissism, not Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. So blah, 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 Mormon prophecy end times. Randy and Vicky are married and they like get more and more religious over the years. Mm-hmm. And they they start getting big on this book that was published in 1970 called The Late Great Planet Earth, which isn't the Turner Diaries, thank God. But it's a it's kind of an interesting book. It was the first religious book to be published by a non-secular publisher. And it used verses from the Bible to prophesy real-world Armageddon. Okay. And the the book didn't give, like, any actual, like, real-life dates, but it, mm-hmm. it, like, postulated that most likely End of the World was coming in the late 1980s. Okay. Which, I mean, if you think about, like, the way that the Cold War was going on and the way that the world felt... Yeah. Valid. <laughs> Yeah, that's and that's kind of what I meant too about the whole you know prophecy that the federal government was going to lead to the end of the world. Like, yeah, I almost feel like it's just arrogance that leads people to not feel that way every day right now. Uh, it's that I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's that I can't. can't. <laughs> that's why. Okay. If somebody's like the the federal government is going to end the world in a nuclear holocaust. I'm like, you probably are right, but I'm just not 
gonna deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I can't think about that reality. I yeah, that. I agree. Also, I agree. who knows that it's our federal government? It could be Korea. It could be any other fascists. Any other fascists. It could be just one of the randos that happens to have nukes. There's all sorts of nuclear holocaust options. Yeah. It's probably America, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. There's a lot of doomsday cults that popped up in like the 80s where I'm like, yeah, man. I wish you hadn't done that, but like, I feel you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, uh, I empathize with your uh, fears, not your actions. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Randy and Vicky only read the King James version of the Bible, and they begin practicing Old Testament laws. Really? Yes. Can you give me an example? Um, Vicky would. So this is later when they like move out west, but mm-hmm. Vicky, would... like you do when you're a religious fanatic, <laughs> she would go out to a shed when she was menstruating. Really? Because the women are to be separated from the men when they menstruate because they are unclean. Wow. Yeah. That's some next level that's some next level shit when yeah. uh when you can believe in something so the the inherent uncleanliness of the female body for I feel like that's a next level thing for a woman to just really uh completely believe in. Well, I mean, like that's, we've been taught that's so that much for shame. so long. I, I know. And I think on a level, we all walk around with that level of, like, shame mm-hmm. and self-loathing and all of that. But but that's some next-level shit. Take yourself out of the barn. Yeah. And, yeah, and tell, pretty and, wild. Uh, that's... But it was kind of self-imposed because she was the, like... Like, Randy was a religious zealot, but, like, she was the religious zealot. Right. Know? I'm not saying... She, I'm not trying to take the stance of her being a victim. I don't even know enough to know that oh, yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that that's, like, to willingly do that... That's some next level beliefs right there. Yeah. Well, and she she would like regularly like interpret the Old Testament like as conservatively as she could. I think she was mm-hmm. like trying to get on God's good side like mm-hmm. you do. Follow, like extra strict follow the extra rules strict. to be on the safe side. And mm-hmm. so like, so, you know, there's the there's the Old Testament rule of like not worshiping false idols. And so like at some point she got real sticklery about like taking photographs and she like destroyed a bunch of her photographs and she took out the television in the family home. Oh yeah, Randy also had a, held a Bible study group at a local restaurant. How nice. And they would order pamphlets and tapes and comic books about like the stranger Christian beliefs. You know, like the 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 watch out for Sa- Satan's secret angels kind of stranger Christian oh, beliefs. Oh yeah, okay. Know? Which is kind of like that fun, crazy Christian. Right. A little more fantasy in your everyday life. I mean, I, I feel bad. Oh, God, I'm so disrespectful to religions, but what you gonna do? Um. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a mutually, it's a, it's a mutual thing, right? It's a, it is a mutual thing. So, so the Weavers developed like their own idiosyncratic belief system. They, they found Old Testament prophecy of an impending apocalypse and they distrusted everything else. The Illuminati, other churches, just... Paranoid. Paranoid. And, and they, they disliked labels. They were at least somewhat inspired by Christian identity, but they mm-hmm. wouldn't, like, adopt it. As far as any kind of uh, right-wing group. Mm-hmm. In fact, okay. sometimes they even told themselves that... Or, sorry, sometimes they even told others that they weren't Christian. Really? Yeah. 
because they just didn't like labels. It was like very, very much like this not because is... they disagreed so strongly with the Christian Church, but because they specifically because they were anti-label. Yeah. Because, like, they were Christian. They totally believed in Jesus. They were reading the King James Bible. But, yeah. you know, their beliefs were just so unique that they didn't really specifically align with any one church. Right, okay. Um, and eventually they transitioned from talking about the apocalypse to preparing for the apocalypse. Like you do. And they began stockpiling weapons and canned food. And they decided to move out west in 1983. Okay. So at this point, they've got three kids. They've got two daughter, two daughter. They've got two, two daughter. daughters, Sarah, the eldest, and Rachel, the youngest, and a middle son, Samuel. Okay. Vicky said that God had spoken to her and that the family was going to find their new home by September 1983. Okay. And they found their proper property shortly before that deadline in northern Idaho. Of course. So, this is their cabin in buttfuck Egypt, Ruby Ridge. It's beautiful. It is very pretty. They did an excellent job because they literally built their cabin using plywood and two by fours. Oh, really? Yeah. I've seen pictures of the inside of the house and I'm honestly really impressed. It like looks like a nice little house. Cool. But... I mean, if you see, like, a, a blown-out picture, mm-hmm. it is, like, there is a mountain covered in fucking pine trees, and then there's just this little fucking house. It is. Yeah. But, fuck, Egypt. I'm into <laughs> it. I'm so into it. So, so that's the thing, you know? That's go and, and find your own land and get away from the government mm-hmm. and... and, and people yeah. of color and... Well, so that's what I was about to say is troubling is... I, there's a very specific and a very limited set of values, which I share very strongly with people who want to do that. Getting out into the middle of nowhere and being completely self-sufficient, amazing. And I'd love to meet and talk to people who do that. People tend to only do that for really shit reasons. I shouldn't say only, but people often tend to do that for like shit reasons. Yeah. There's, so Kelly's job is weird. Mm-hmm. And I've told you about that a little bit. Yeah. ToxicMasculinity.com. I mean, that's one of them. But he basically works with and for preppers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I've been meaning to somehow figure out how to ask them. Because, you know, this is the kind of question that usually causes defensiveness. But I'm so curious. Because they are interconnected. How mm-hmm. they feel about the correlations in prepping and white supremacy. Yeah. Because. Because there is an element of that. That's, that's yeah. what I'm, they're, that's they're what I'm not, becoming more and more aware yeah. of. <laughs> they're, they're not mutually inclusive. Yes. Like you are not a prepper just for being a white supremacist and you are not a white supremacist just for being a prepper. But that Venn diagram is There's a real lot of overlap. Overlappy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that middle section is real thick. It's a thick middle section. With two C's. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the the Weavers, they homeschooled their children and taught them how to use guns. They canned and hunted and gardened. Yeah. And they weren't completely self-sufficient, but they were, like, really self-sufficient. Yeah. And although they... 
moved to get off the grid and away from the government, they had moved right next door to the Aryan Nations compound. Oh, that's such bad news. Which we talked about last episode. So we didn't go into a, a lot of detail on the Aryan Nations last mm-hmm. last episode, but so there was there's Christian identity and right. then there's the Aryan Nations and that was like a compound that was Christian identity mixed with neo-Nazism, which okay. is kind of silly to say because Christian identity is basically white nationalism, the religion. But the neo-Nazism <laughs> was also... White nationalism, the religion. The religion, TM. So it was founded by Richard Butler, who was one of the 14 involved in the sedition trials. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So okay, it was so there it was, was a connection. It was really notorious. And also it did have a connection to the order because that's how the order was getting their like their preparation material. Like that's how right. they were getting their how to build bombs manuscripts. So I feel like this is the lead in about uh how they're both uh, simultaneously a victim and part of the problem. Right. I feel like that's leading yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely, it definitely. Oh, yep, that's not good. Yep, this is, this is where it that's goes. That's not good. So, so Butler believed white nationalists should move to the Northwest to create the white state. And okay. Aryan nations members were encouraged to arm themselves in preparation for the impending race war. Okay. Butler touted 300 followers in northern Idaho and 6,000 across the nation. Dang. So it wasn't huge, but it was kind of huge. I think especially Like a weird little culty compound. That's a lot. Right. That's a lot. And especially, again, outside of the era of social media. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a lot of networking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for real. This is the 80s. Let's be real. And 70s. Like, that's a lot of networking, and that shows a lot about your organization and your commitment level Mm -hmm. if you have that many people at that time, I would Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is actually, like, this isn't going to go away because every year the Aryan Nations held the Aryan World Congress, Mm -hmm. which was a big event for all all walks of white supremacists. We've mm. been talking about. Yeah. Butler advertised it as a family-friendly event. Mm. Where the main event was a cross-burning. Great. Yay. Bring the kids to a cross-burning. Yay. <laughs> and then... Well, I'll ask that later. Never mind. What? Just the, the imagery and the purpose, the symbolism behind a burning cross. Like, Christians are so, pro-cross, so why would you burn it? Um, so, so the burning cross, although it has become a symbol of terror and hate because of the association with the Ku Klux Klan, and it is still a white supremacist thing, Mm -hmm. the idea is something, something light of Christ. Okay. So it actually has So it's supposed to be like a powerful, positive cleansing kind of- Yeah, it's supposed to be like a wholesome Christian thing. It's just that it's done by such, like, terrorist people- Right, we're that, bringing you the light of Christ by force and with blood. Yeah, yeah, we're we're bringing you the light of Christ by purging the land of everybody that's not white. Yeah, it's like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, not good. I don't think Jesus, who was definitely not white, would approve of. <laughs> would approve of that? No. Yeah. yeah. So, 
So then the order draws attention to Aryan nations. Okay. Because the order, at the very least, met through, like, the Aryan World Congress. Okay. And was tied to those people. Right. And Randy Weaver attended several of the Aryan World Congresses. Why was he doing that? he never joined... Well, because he was a low-key, middle-key, high-key white supremacist. So so he was, an, as an individual, he was a white supremacist? Yeah. So he, up until that point, he wasn't really involved directly in or starting his own organization? Well, again, he never joins officially. Okay. He, uh, he, he says he has some theological differences, but also like... With every single white supremacist group, none of them are quite right. Well, like, I mean, that's the this thing. This one's too hard. Like, this one's too soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think locks. Randy Weaver just wanted to have, like, his family as a unit, and that's it. Like, he was a lone wolf kind of guy. Even right. when it came to fellow, Right, even know, if there were whatevers. shared values, he didn't want to be a part of a larger group. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Understandable. And I mean, like... I don't know. I wouldn't want to join that group any. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that it's, you know. Not that but... they would have you. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they would have me. <laughs> um, Not good enough for the hate groups, Alex. That's okay. I'll, I'll live. <laughs> so at least one year he brought Vicky and the kids. I don't like that. Ew. So... At Weaver's first Aryan World Congress. Which, I'm sorry, where did you say those were being held? I think Northern Idaho. Okay, that would make sense. But they might have moved locations yearly, but I think Northern Idaho, you know, where the compound was. Yeah. So at Weaver's first Aryan World Congress, he met Gustav Magisano. Okay. So Gus. So Gus was a gunrunner. And in August 1989, Randy was hurting for cash. Oh no, Randy. And he turned to Gus to ask for work. And that work happened to be selling illegal guns. Mm. So Randy tells Gus that he could provide him two sawed-off shotguns that he would do himself using a vice and a hacksaw. And Gus gave Randy 300 and promised 150 the next time he saw him for the two shot off shots. Uh-huh. And Randy promised him that if he got in trouble, he wouldn't rat on Gus. Okay. You know, that was, that was his beliefs. Was Don't rat on him. fucking snitch. All right. So the next time they meet up, there was this tension. Randy had heard that Gus was a cop. Mm, was Gus a cop? Well, Gus was not a cop. And Gus promised that he was not a cop. But Gus was an informant for the ATF. Oh, no. His real name was Kenneth Fadley, and he was one of many informants on Aryan Nations after the order. Because they were like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Right, we gotta watch these guys. <laughs> yeah, and like, I don't fucking blame them. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. That's literally the kind of stuff the government should be doing, I would think. Yeah. It's like, you know, monitoring, you know, uh, God, why can't I think of the term? 
American, terrorism? yeah, thank you, my god, my brain's not working very well. Yeah, Same. like, monitoring domestic terrorists, that's yeah. something the government should totally be doing. Yeah. I'm Sticking their nose that. all up in that business. I, I'm all about the, the ATF having informants on Aryan nations. Yep. Go ATF. Go ATF. So, so anyway, at the time of this whole deal, Randy doesn't have a criminal record. Randy's just, like, a dude. So the informant, was he just, like, looking for somebody who might say yes? Or, like, that's already yeah. sounds kind of shitty. Like, I'm worried well, that Randy's going to get totally fucked over by this deal because he was desperate and needed work. Yeah, or he'd never done he anything illegal before. totally fucked over by this deal. That's such bullshit. So That's, like, entrapment, isn't it? Like, hey, do this thing for well, me that you've never done well, before. Well, I mean, I would absolutely argue entrapment. And his defense attorney does argue entrapment. I, yeah, I would not... So, so the thing is, like, I could see prosecuting entrapment mm -hmm. because Gus was like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm a gun runner. And then when Randy needs money, he's like, hey, I could do some work for you. Right. So he is kind of and like. And entrapment is, tr is like, is like convincing somebody to do something illegal that they wouldn't do had you not. Right. And so maybe if he'd never met Gus, he wouldn't have. But that doesn't mean that if he had never met... A but he did runner, also know going into it that it was something illegal. Yeah. It wasn't like, he's like, hey, Gus, do you have any sort of work for me whatsoever? Yeah. So, like, I definitely would argue entrapment. But if this was the only thing involved in this case, like mm -hmm. this situation, I have no idea if I'd win. Right. As a defense attorney. Yeah. Yeah. But... But I, so basically what happened is at some point, Randy tells Gus that he knows those guys from Montana, I think meaning some like upper tier gun runners. Mm -hmm. And Gus was hoping to get a, that connection through Randy. Okay. Which is like, it's, it's really standard in like trying to bring down something bigger. You go bit by bit by the lower folks, you know? Yeah. And... But, but Randy gets suspicious and they didn't follow through on the introduction. Okay. Because Randy doesn't trust anything. Because Randy doesn't trust anything. Fair. Doesn't trust anything. And then Fadley's cover is blown. Uh-oh. Did Fadley die? No. He just, like, basically somebody outed him to the Aryan Nations that he was an informant. And so he could no longer be an informant. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the ATF needs a new informant. Mm-hmm. So... Randy seemed like a good option, basically. So so he had, he was a military veteran, so they thought mm -hmm. maybe he'd be sympathetic to law enforcement. Okay. Because, I don't know, there's like a 60, or a 50-50. Yeah. With, with military vets and law enforcement when they're right-wingy. Right, either never they're know. like, no, fuck <laughs> you, I'm forming my own army, or they're like, the thin blue line, brothers in yeah. arms. No, it's, it, it's always so so wild to me. There, there's never a consistency in like, do you do you love the feds or do you hate the feds? There's a lot of like, I they only love, love the, the feds. government in very certain situations. Right, I was gonna say, I think they love the feds when they're like, you know, taking away rights from women and immigrants, and they yeah. hate them when they're doing literally anything else. Yeah, because like, because like they hate taxes. Yeah, they hate government bureaucracy. No, hate, no government programs. They hate the government doing literally anything, but they want the government to, like, tighten up their border control and build a wall. And it's like, right. how are you going to get that money? Also, isn't that government, like, action? 
Yeah. Like, don't you want the government to not do things? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's very specific. And I'm sure that they feel exactly the same way about us. They're like, why do you want the government to do stuff sometimes, but not other times? And it's like, wow, maybe this isn't a good argument. But it's still (laughs) Wow, this isn't a good argument. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, So, yeah. Also, like, you know, this this seemed was like, it was a Mm win-win. Basically... Randy flips information on the Aryan nations. Which he doesn't or, want to be a part of anyway. <laughs> or they hit him with a relatively minor gun charge. Yeah. You know, like, it was not a big deal. He was a first-time offender. He probably would have gotten it played down. Yeah. It would have been fine. Well, and especially then, wouldn't, like, selling a sawed-off shotgun be less of a charge than it would be now? I don't know gun laws That's in like, 1990. I, 1990? 1989? Yeah. 1990. Maybe, I don't know, maybe sawed-offs were always illegal, but in, t- in brief conversations I've had with they my grandpa over the years. They were definitely illegal in 1989. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he was being charged for. Was the sodding them off, not the selling was, them? Was creating sawed-off shotguns, yeah. Okay. Stumpy little shotguns. You know, Randy says, I ain't no fucking snitch. Oh, dear, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> and, whoops, the government wasn't aware that Randy's a paranoid extremist. <laughs> <laughs> whoops. <laughs> whoops. But, you know, Vicky and Randy took this as further proof of the impending apocalypse. Right, because the government's wanting them to be snitches for ATF mm-hmm. tracking guns. And yeah. they're like, oh shit, the federal government is overexerting their government powers because they're doing anything involving white people. Yep. <laughs> and so they indict Randy on the gun charges in December 1990. And Randy and Vicky vow he will not surrender to authorities. So in January, they go into town for supplies. It mm-hmm. had been, like, really snowy, so they they needed supplies after, like, there was a break that they could fucking get out of their fucking mountain and go back up. Mm-hmm. And on the side of the road is a truck with a camper. And a, one man is, is fidgeting with the engine and a woman is standing outside without a winter coat. So they do the good person thing and pull over to help, but they were undercover ATF agents. Oh no. So officers rush rush out of the camper and arrest Randy and like Vicky fucking gets in a fight with the female officer and ends Go up Vicky, like, face down in the snow. I know I'm a little bit like, yeah, fight the man, but I'm also like, no, bad. Yeah. I'm always I'm always like that same exact conflict Internally we were discussing with conflict. the conservatives, right? It's yeah. just like, yeah, stick it to the man, fight back, but also, no, you're wrong. No, don't do that. You broke the law. <laughs> <laughs> so. Maybe this is a bad argument. <laughs> maybe this is a bad argument. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So so Randy's released on bail the next day. They They put his court date. He goes home. Randy doesn't show up for his February court date. Of course not. Why would he? He already said he wasn't going to turn he himself over. He said he's not gonna. Right. Not coming he, up my mountain. He already said he wasn't gonna. Why would they expect him to? I'm surprised he was released on bail when he'd already said that he wasn't going to turn himself in. And he was brought in j- simply because they caught him. Not be- like. Right. <sighs> I, I mean, feel like that's I dumb. Think what he did was he put his house up for bail. Mm hmm. But I mean, even still, it's like, 
Well, okay. So the thing is, they they didn't fully understand, like, how committed he was to this. Okay. And they definitely did not think he was a flight risk. Yeah. Because he was like, this is my mountain. I'm staying here. So he wasn't. And he wasn't a danger to society. Flight risk and crazy mountain man risk are different, though. So those are kind of like the two big things. Is like, are right. they going to endanger society? And are they going to run? And I guess they knew that he wouldn't show up, but they also knew that he wouldn't run. Yeah, they but they're limiting. Right, we'll just they're go limiting. up to his mountain and fucking issue an arrest and get him. Right. They're, that's the thing is they're limiting running to living, leaving the country, not making yourself inaccessible in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the judge issues a warrant and, and that puts arresting randy weaver in the jurisdiction of the u.s marshals okay so they're pulled up in their cabin for the next 18 months really that's a long time it's a long time to not come down from the mountain yep so in february 1991 vicky sends two letters to the u.s attorney's office which she addressed to the servants of the queen of babylon okay great yeah and Balls on her. <laughs> yeah. In the first letter, she quotes the order. Oh, no. So, interconnected stories. Uh, they got help from friends and neighbors bringing food and supplies. Mm-hmm. So, that was one of the ways they were able to stay up there. And that became real necessary when they found out that Vicky's pregnant. Uh-oh. At, I think she was like 41. Yeah, not good. Not great. So, in October 1991, Vicky gave birth to their fourth child, daughter Elisheba. Oh. And honestly, it probably would have been a home birth anyway. Right. You know, if they weren't on self-imposed house arrest. Yeah, probably. So, not much technically changed. But, you know, I'm sure that was stressful. (laughs) I'm sure that was very stressful. Also, oh man, so this this situation just, like, double sucks. Okay. Because, like, Randy could have just ended this by going in when he was supposed to, to get a plea deal, because he had no criminal history, like, it would have been fucking fine. Right, he could have really gotten away with super minimal consequences for his actions. Yeah. You know, he was like, it's the principle of not following the federal government's orders. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, you just have to live by the rules of the land. Even the Bible says so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I'm sorry you don't like it, but you gotta. (laughs) But but at the same time, like, the government had no actual reason to consider Randy, like, a particular threat. See, also, he didn't have a criminal history, and he was kind of sort of at least a little bit entrapped into getting himself one. Right. And they definitely didn't need to pursue him the way they did. That said, you can't just, like, ignore a judge order. That's not an option for government employees. Right, right. Because they do follow the rules of the land. That's kind of their thing. Right. So, Randy actually... I've I've heard conflicting accounts, but I'm under the impression that Randy did want to turn himself in, but Vicky did not approve because of their strongly held beliefs. Because they fucking believed that federal overstepping of of their personal rights 
Liberties. was going to lead to the apocalypse. You know? So is this kind of a theme throughout their story of like them both being sort of uh, fanatical and conservative, but then uh, Vicky having a little bit more commitment or a little more zest for it? than Well, it, I mean, it becomes important because I think that the government like catches wind that Vicky's a little bit more of the pants wearer. Mm-hmm. And and so they they kind of try to direct their efforts towards her, but it's mm-hmm. it's too late by that point. Okay. So also okay. So in March 1992, reporter Bill Moreland wrote an article on Randy Weaver and the fact that he had not been apprehended. Okay. And. The article made national news and suddenly the media became like particularly interested in the Weaver family Mm -hmm. and they start flying their helicopters over (sighs) the cabin, which I feel like that's a bad idea. That's like poking the bear, right? Yeah. Well, and also like they technically had no way of knowing that these helicopters were media, not federal agents. Yeah. And technically aside, like even if they could clearly see fresh, like they weren't down with either right i was gonna say even if they could clearly see like cbs on the bottom of a helicopter like that wouldn't be better for them i'm sure like basically the anxiety is still rising yeah and but also like the government has more pressure because now national media cares about like why can't they fucking get this one dude who lives up on a mountain yeah why can't they get this one guy down Mm -hmm. so u.s marshals bring in a team the special operations group that are trained for high-risk situations Mm -hmm. and they place a motion-activated solar-powered camera to survey the weaver family and they found that nearly everyone was nearly always armed oh joy yeah so like 14 year old sam samuel weaver carried a gun 84 percent of the time holy shit and at one point, he was also spotted wearing a Nazi armband. Mm. So again, like, it is not so important to this story that the Weavers were white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But I don't want that to, to be, be forgotten. lost. Because I do believe that one of the reasons that the government took this more seriously than they should have is because of the orders terrorist acts you know less than a decade earlier yeah from the same fucking compound right and they're regardless of whether or not they wanted to be you know an island of white supremacists they were in close proximity to the aryan nation and attended white supremacist events yeah and had guns yeah so like it know, does definitely it, some misinformation being spread, but it also does seem valid to consider them a potential like domestic terrorist group. Yeah. Like it it they could be a problem. And also like Randy Weaver is just an American citizen and so you get to treat him like an American citizen. So he has to follow the rules just like everybody else. Yep. So now let's get to the big yuck standoff. Big Yuck Standoff, let's do it. Big Yuck Standoff. August 21st, 1992 to August 31st, 1992. Okay, so like 10 days. Violence began August 21st. Okay. 
Six U.S. Marshals came to the Weaver property at 4.30 a.m. They split into two teams to scope out the area near the Weaver cabin. The goal was to find a way to peacefully apprehend Randy Weaver, hopefully by catching him while he's alone. Okay, so that was the idea, is get him unawares and by himself, so his mm-hmm. children their, their with guns and was, wife cannot well, and protect also, him. Also, like, their goal wasn't to catch Randy. Their goal was to fill in any potential missing information from the last time the area was scoped out. Okay, so that Randy could be caught, but their goal wasn't yeah. to do that immediately. Okay. Yeah, they were not supposed to engage on this day. And they actually finished their work without incident. But on their way out, the Weaver family dog, a yellow lab named Stryker, caught mm. their scent and began barking and running towards them. Randy, 14-year-old Sammy, and 24-year-old family friend Kevin Harris gave chase after Stryker. Mm-hmm. Kevin had a hunting rifle. Okay, Kevin is the older Sammy friend. Sammy had a rifle and a handgun. Okay. Gunfire was exchanged. There's disagreements about what happened next. So, in one story, the U.S. Marshals shouted, Stop, U.S. Marshals. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Harris shot from the hip, shooting and killing Bill Deegan, who was... One of the marshals. Yeah. And he was an extremely decorated marshal. Okay. In response to Harris shooting Deegan, another marshal opened fire and hit Sammy. Who was 14. Who was 14. Ugh. In another story, one of the marshals shot Stryker first... And Sammy screamed, you killed my dog, you son of a bitch, and opened fire, but didn't hit anyone. Then he turned back to run to the cabin and was shot in the back by one of the marshals. Then Kevin Harris, either in retaliation or self-defense, opened fire. And he may have shot Deegan or maybe Deegan was shot by friendly fire. So where do these conflicting reports come from? Are these different marshals reports or? Basically... Those two stories mm-hmm. are the different versions that were offered by the U.S. Marshals or by the Weavers. Okay, because that's those are pretty drastically different. Like, uh, shooting a suspect in the back, I'm pretty sure, is an indictable offense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I guess either seems... Cops do like to shoot dogs. <laughs> so either do I seem mean, valid I do not, to me. I do not disagree that the, the cops shot the dog. I bet that happened. Right. And I would see a 14-year-old boy and, raised in that environment shooting a cop who shot his dog. Yeah. I mean, fuck, I would... I wouldn't. Maybe I would. Part, part, I don't know. Right. Part of your brain wants to say that you would shoot somebody who shot your dog? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm, like, really, really nonviolent. Yeah. But, like, You're, I'm protective yeah. also. So... But, like, you know, that said, like, this bar- this dog was barking and giving away their location and they were supposed to be doing like a super super covert mission yeah so but also they don't have to outrun the dog in order for the dog to not be a problem this is what i don't like i totally believe that the marshals shot the dog but in order for the dog to not be a problem all they have to do is keep going and you know well you can't just keep you can't just outrun it no they can't but they just have to outrun the people who are chasing him you can subdue a dog without murdering it you can subdue a dog without murdering it But cops never I know, that's my point. That's my whole problem with the whole cop shooting dogs thing. (laughs) So I got in a ton of arguments with my uh, crim pro professor. That was actually one of my favorite classes. 
But one of the arguments that I got into with my crim pro professor was when that that cop basically like got into some dude's backyard Mm -hmm. while they were looking for a toddler who was actually under the bed in his house. Mm -hmm. So they got into a random backyard and there was a dog there and it was like a Weimariner, like those those uh, Sesame Street dogs. They're they're not like, you know pitbulls or rottweilers not that i'm against pitbulls or rottweilers but like it was specifically like not a particularly dangerous dog it could bite you but it's not gonna fucking take your flesh out oh there are hunting dogs though i just looked them up okay i know exactly what you're talking about very pretty yes oh god such gorgeous dogs but the the cop shot and killed the dog even though like the cop had just sort of like bounded into this dude's backyard technically for no reason technically trespassing you could kick the dog you could tase the dog yeah i know you've got tasers (laughs) you don't have to shoot the dog right that's the thing is there's so many ways that a reasonably strong adult human could keep themselves from getting even near even even near mortally wounded by a dog yeah like you're you're never unless a dog I, I personally feel like unless a dog is, has rabies or has been specifically trained to attack and harm people, you're never going to run into a situation where a dog is so vicious that you need to kill it. As yeah. a law enforcement professional, you're never in a yeah. situation where you well, that... cannot protect yourself from a dog without shooting it. Yeah, that that was one of the things that I was saying in class is I was like, they were wearing their fucking cops blues. They were wearing their fucking steel toed boots, you know, like they were wearing like thick clothes kick the dog yeah 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 if cops are walk if cops are walking the street in gear that does not set them up to protect them from a dog then there's something wrong with their gear yeah (laughs) but regardless i'm never sure if like this is the hill i'm willing to die on because like because i i am like passionate about animal rights and i'm passionate about like not fucking with with dogs and killing people's pets but also like Sometimes cops kill unarmed black men and don't get indicted. And right, yeah, I want. I, I, I would think like that white those are people two... to get more upset about that than dogs. And sometimes they don't. Yeah, well, I think specifically getting worked up about cops shooting dogs. I don't think that indicates that you're a racist because I think that everyone, literally everyone, can empathize with. Yeah. Oh my well, god, a cop shot a dog. It's not <laughs> that you are getting upset about the dog. It is the right if you care more about the dog. You get upset about the dog and not the human. (laughs) Right, right. I yeah, Yeah. I get that. I get that for sure. Yeah. So it is a hill that I'm willing to die on. I'm just never sure if it's a hill that I should be willing to die on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Anyway, okay. They're not mutually exclusive, as I guess is my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to choose just one hill, Alex. I, I know. I know. I mean, I say that all the time with like vegan stuff. Yeah, I can care about human lives and animal lives. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um, outside of this old yeller moment, what yeah, happens next? So, so the dog dies. But so does fucking 14-year-old Sammy Weaver. Oh, yeah, I got hung up on the dog. That poor boy. <laughs> Speaking of. <laughs> I just don't, I just, I do. I just we don't like it so thing. much. We did the thing. Maybe <laughs> this is a thing. bad argument. <laughs> Maybe this is a bad argument. Shit. We are getting too meta. We are like contradicting ourselves. <laughs> yeah. It's 
okay. We're not experts. Just listen no. to everything we say because we're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yep, pretty much. So, also, I feel like it's a little bit easier to joke about police brutality against dogs than it is about police brutality against 14-year-olds. Yeah, that's true. This is... Yeah, it's yeah, something you have to take a, a lot more. Tougher. You can't you can't just brush it off and say old yeller is a way to avoid the very real and uh, upsetting situation that is a young man being murdered. Yeah. So the weavers retrieve Sammy's body and place him in a shed. The whole night, they can hear the FBI moving in on them. You know, they can hear trucks and helicopters. Mm -hmm. So they have just, like, solidified all of their fears are true. Yeah. Right, the government came in, killed their son. Yeah. Like, Like, and, and, like, this is what I talked about at the very top of the story, is the government was looking for extremist white supremacists, criminals, and created them. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Right, the Weavers weren't criminals until they interacted with government... What's the word? Officials? Proxy? Officials proxy? or proxies? Proxy. That's probably better. Yeah. But then, you know, the Weavers were looking for this apocalyptic federal intervention. Yeah. And got it for themselves. Literally, if Randy Weaver had just come to court, right. I think none that of is this very, would have happened. I think that's very interesting on a uh, social psychological level. The whole, like, you attract what you're afraid of, da-da-da. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of gimmicky things that the kids get told a lot at work. And, and like, in, in a sense, I believe them. I really have to uh, break them apart before I can be like, okay, yes, this is true. Because, you know, when you're really focused on something psychologically, you do tend to make choices that, if you've decided upon a reality for yourself, mm-hmm. that reality that you've decided upon affects the decisions that you make which then shape your reality right so so there is some truth to this whole notion of like you you know you attract what you're afraid of right Mm -hmm. if you have this fear that you've turned into a reality you're gonna make that happen for yourself but uh that's in a very like tangential theoretical kind of way Mm -hmm. and so to see that manifested in such a direct and like (laughs) violent way for these people is kind of nuts yeah well and like you you see what you're looking for. Yeah. And that's something we've come across in a lot of episodes. Yeah. So because Deegan was a federal uh, federal agent, the FBI now has jurisdiction. Right. Because he was shot on their property or by them. Yes. And they send their hostage rescue team. And who are the hostages? The Weavers. Okay. Yeah. But they're not, really, are they? I mean, I guess the ones that aren't Randy? Well, I think that I would argue I'm definitely not pro-children being treated like adults, uh, especially in situations like this. However, I would argue that the only people that could be considered as hostages as far as how you would approach them in that situation would be, like, literal babies, well, like, there is a literal baby. Right. That's what I mean. The literal baby. And maybe <laughs> maybe a kid like under 10 or something, right? They could actually be approached as you would approach a hostage. But I think that regardless of whether or not the children should be treated like adults or are capable of making adult decisions, I'm willing to bet, you know, 14-year-old Sammy, regardless of how it went down, was making some very adult decisions. And 
Yeah. Maybe, I mean, that was like an accident and started when they didn't want it to, right? But yeah. I would expect in order for a situation like that to end nonviolently, the children who were old enough to be wielding weapons would have to be treated like hostiles, not hostages. Well, that was also the problem. That was how they killed Sammy. Yeah. But I mean, that said, like, he was always armed. He, we don't know who shot first. Right, and I, it seems like the situation of killing Sammy wasn't like... Because you can still treat somebody like hostile without the intent to kill them. Yeah. Right, it's understanding what their intentions likely are. That said, the FBI doesn't know Sammy's, Sammy's dead at this point. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's kind of ironic because it feels like the hostages that they're rescuing mm-hmm. are being rescued from them. Right. And I guess that's exactly what I mean is that like, I think that there's a lot higher chance of success in a situation like this, where people don't get killed, when you understand where the people you are trying to rescue are coming from. If they're, uh, if they're just as radical as their parents, you probably can't just treat them like hostages and expect to get them out of there alive. Well, and to make matters worse, the FBI comes in with even less information. Oh, no. So you start with the ATF. And then you mm-hmm. pass the buck on to the U.S. Marshals. And then you pass the buck on to the FBI. So you've got one one organization that's been investigating for, you know, over a year. Over a year and a half, actually. And then you've got an organization that's been investigating for a while. And then you've got an organization that's just showing up. So they have a... So yet another issue of, They have a ton of wrong information. Like, they are given right. incorrect information. Once again, poor communication in the criminal... Well, in law enforcement. Yeah. It was, it was a mix of a lot of things. But basically... So the FBI comes in believing that Randy Weaver had served overseas and, and seen combat in Vietnam. Okay, not true. They believed that the family had booby-trapped the property and or more people were armed and ready to, like aid the weavers should a gunfight start more people on the property or more people Mm -hmm. near the property yes okay so that's not true either (laughs) that's not why would they believe that i don't know okay i don't know how they got any of this information they believed that weaver had been implicated in multiple bank robbery robberies what which was probably mixing up randy weaver into the tie with the order right that's my theory so this is, again, not only were the Weavers sort of creating their own reality with their mistrust of the government, but the government was looking so hard for radicals that they found them. Yeah. Where there technically really weren't any? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're radical, but not in that sense. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, more rumors and bad info led the FBI to believe that Randy and the whole Weaver family was substantially more of a threat than it really was. This is where it gets worse. Oh, no. So on the flight from D.C., the head of the FBI's hostage rescue team decides to completely redraft the rules of engagement. Like, literally. So standard procedure is that deadly force may only be taken in defense of self or others. Right. Right? That seems like what that rule should always be. That's pretty standard. These new rules... Because they thought that the Weaver family was a bunch of terrifying terrorist dooms drafted on the plane and several times on the scene were unconscionable. The final draft read deadly force can and should be used against any armed adult male if the shot could be taken without a child being injured. Jesus. 
because everyone was always armed, that essentially translates to if you see an adult, shoot to kill. Well, and that also translates to, I'm sorry, but even at 14, you'd look, you could look like an adult, especially from a distance. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I think any armed, ad- I mean, yeah, I think it's basically like the 10 year old was probably safe and the baby literally. Yeah. And that was it. So on the evening of August 22nd, so this is the second day, mm-hmm. 11 camouflage snipers surround the cabin including the highly experienced Lon Horiuchi. So around 6 p.m., Mm 16-year-old Sarah Weaver, Kevin Harris, and Randy Weaver left the cabin. Uh, I think they were running out to grab batteries. And Randy went to the shed, keeping his son's body, because he wanted to look at his son again. Right, valid. Lon Horiuchi takes a shot. And he hits Randy Weaver in the shoulder. And they all run back to the house. Vicky Weaver goes over to the door, baby in arms, to see what's happening. And then holds the door open for them. Mm-hmm. They're almost back inside the house when Horiuchi takes another shot. At whom? This shot hits Vicky in the head and continues through Kevin's arm and into his chest, narrowly missing his heart. Vicky dies almost instantly. Holding a baby. She slumps to the ground. Alicia was still in arms. He should not have taken that shot, methinks. Yeah. I feel not. like that's that's a whole, like, well, it's like relying on your ego, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that a babe in arms is justifiably uh, in a safe place. Well, you know, it, and it as, gets I, complicated. You're, you're simply relying on your ability to take a headshot, which that's not smart. Well, so the thing I, is, like, Lon Horiuchi could hit a dime 200 meters away. Right. I'm saying that, like, I totally believe that an individual could safely make that shot. I'm saying that you should not be allowed to. The rules should not allow right. you to make. Your your personal code of conduct should not allow you to take that shot. But the new rules kind of allowed him to take that shot. Right. But your personal, your personal code of conduct also shouldn't, I feel like. Yeah. I don't feel like anybody should be willing to take that shot. Yeah, well, you're getting into a weird territory when you get to snipers. Yeah. As far as personal code of conduct goes. Yeah. But yeah, it gets a lot more complicated when you start digging into the details. And we will do that later. Okay. So the Weavers pull Vicky's body the rest of the way into the home. Sarah takes Elisheba. They're both covered in her mother in their mother's gore. Mm. And Vicky's wrapped in a blanket and placed under the kitchen table. Because the family now rightfully believes if they show their face... They'll be cu- they'll be shot. Yeah, you know, like they talk about this over and over again. Like, why didn't you give up when, like, when, like, why didn't you go outside? Why didn't you surrender? And they were like, I thought I'd be shot, and I'm like, yeah, right. you probably well, would have. So, so I'm assuming that Vicky had like a gun strapped to her in some capacity when she opened well, the door, or no? No, it was it was like a couldn't quite see. Like the idea was that he missed the shot. He was shooting for Kevin Harris. That's terrifying. He technically hit Kevin Harris. Yeah, but okay, that... So you're saying this guy could hit a dime from wherever, wherever. He shot a woman in the head while she was carrying a baby because he was aiming for somebody else? Well, he didn't have a direct sight on Vicky. That's so bad. I feel like that's so bad. It makes me it so mad. Bad. It's so bad. It is really bad, and I think you should be mad. 
Like, I don't like that at all. It's and bad. I don't, it's easy to, for me to be like, oh, Horiuchi's such a dick, but like, you're right that he was doing his job and there's a different code of ethics for being a sniper. And that the problem really is in the fact that the rules were rewritten in such a way that that was okay. Yeah. But I mean, also, there's some stuff that comes up later where you're like, mm, but I don't want to bring that up yet. Okay. Uh. <laughs> All so, right. So outside, protests are gathering at the roadblock. And they're there for all sorts of reasons. You've got neo-Nazis and white supremacists, and you've got religious folks, and you've got Vietnam vets and anarchists. Like, it is the whole shebang. Anybody who could possibly be like, hey, why is the government using force on this family? Yep. Yep. And the ATF even at some point arrests a group of neo-Nazis attempting to smuggle in weapons to the Weavers. Hmm. That was dumb on them. Yeah. You dumb. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say their hearts are kind of in the right place. Like, yay, help the family, ah, but right, no. also not at all because that's well, bad and they're doing like, bad smuggling things. smuggling in weapons, like, that is the last thing they need. Right. That's what I mean. I want, that's why I said I want to say their hearts are in the right place, but no. 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 They, they were, they were like, yeah, incite the race war. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Help this white family. Right. Okay. That's valid. Which on its own is even a little bit like. quite a lot of the protesters had never met the weavers Mm -hmm. they were there on principle the federal government was stepping on white separatists trying to live their best life and not found the white separatist aspect of it but again there's there's a reason why i can say questionable shit in support of why are you on their land shooting at them when this situation is not at all like that intense yeah like that's a really big problem yeah. And that's a valid thing to be mad about and scared about. Yeah. And the crowd didn't even know yet about Vicky and Sammy Weaver. Mm. So on August 23rd, an FBI team drove an armored personnel carrier to a shed on the Weaver's property. They wanted to knock down the shed so the other vehicles could get through and so that better, you know, they'd have better angles for snipers. Mm. But they first wanted to look inside the shed to make sure the coast was clear. And they find Sammy's bodies wrapped in a sheet. Oh, dear. So that's when they get the news. Yeah. So, so the marshals claim they didn't realize Sammy had died because they'd seen him running after the fire exchange. So presumably he, like, turned to run and got a little ways before he died. And maybe got hit with a stray bullet or maybe was still running in after having been shot kind of like... Yeah, Yeah. something like that. So FBI agent in charge, Gene Glenn, broke the news in a press conference, and the reaction from the crowd was visceral. Protesters screamed and cried and called the government agents baby killer, and I got a nice little protest picture that had some of the more reasonable signs, since, you know... Okay, fed shot first, fed shot first, your home is next, and stop, we need a head count. But none of those signs are racist, so I posted them. (laughs) Yay, not racist signs from probably racist people. Because there was a lot of people there that were there for racism reasons. Yeah, well, at least they're picking their battles and just being anti-government with those signs. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of. These people might have been the people that were like, just anarchists. <laughs> yeah. They might have been white supremacists, though. No, no. I choose to believe they were just anarchists. Thank They're you. They're just anarchists. Yeah. 
So, so, so here's another problem with like the whole situation. Like this isn't on anybody. The negotiators had no way of contacting the weavers because they had no phone in the house. Okay. Yeah. So how are you going to negotiate when you've got a clearly volatile situation if you can't negotiate? Right. Yeah. So they attempted using megaphones and blowhorns, but words were unclear. I mean, you've heard people use megaphones. It kind of sounds uh, yeah, like... Yeah, blowhorns. Yeah. And the weavers had no functional way of responding. Right, so you who know, knows? They could shout yeah. back, but like, you're shouting through a house. Yeah. No. Like, they're not even opening the door because fuck Because, yeah, well, because mom opened the door and she got shot. Yeah. <laughs> so... At one point, they drive a robot with a phone up to the house. Great. But the robot has a fucking shotgun on it. <laughs> so so they're Why? like, oh, big nah. <laughs> Why would they put a shotgun on the robot? I'm not sure. It's facing away from the house. So I really don't know why they put a shotgun on the robot. But the That's robot super has weird. a shotgun. And so That's super weird. Like, like what's going to happen? That? They're going to shoot the robot? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But Vicky's so family stupid. suggested using the radio. They knew that the Weavers had a small radio in the cabin, and they knew mm. that Randy Weaver was a fan of radio host Paul Harvey. So they asked him to send an appeal to the Weavers over his show. Harvey mm. obliged, and he says, There's a telephone on the porch. Reach out and pick it up. Nobody will shoot. Your family wants to know what to do with Samuel's body. And I will arrange for an attorney to represent you and or whomever in the death of Deputy Deegan in the plea of self-defense. Please talk only to Vicky about this. They don't know that Vicky's dead. They don't know that Vicky's dead. Oh, no. So he's saying, please only, like, uh, mull this over with Vicky. Yeah. <sighs> and she's dead and, under the table. Yep. And mm. the FBI claimed that they didn't know they had killed anyone. That's bullshit. How would they not know? How would a sniper not know that he struck somebody in the head? I'll show you some images later. Okay. But the FBI claimed that they didn't know that they had killed anyone. And because they knew Vicky was the primary decision maker, they attempted to speak directly to Vicky. Oh, no. Which every single time feels like an like a torturous attack. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, hey, Mrs. Weaver... We've got pancakes. How about you let your kids come out and have some pancakes? And Vicky's body is just sitting on the kitchen floor. Mm, that's so brutal. And it's and it's just like this. It's just stale and awful for a week. Mm. And then we get a motherfucking wild card. So, Bogritz. Love the name. James Gordon Bogritz is a very decorated military veteran. He served in Vietnam, but is best known for returning to Southeast Asia multiple times after the war to find and return American p prisoners of wa war, supposedly forgotten by their government. Many believe that the movie Rambo was based on his life. Right on, okay. Although he probably never actually rescued anyone. Since mm. he was so insanely public about the attempted rescue missions. Yep. That yeah. might get in the way of actual good reconnaissance. Yeah. So he was a bit of a uh, spotlight seeker. Mm. Blowhard? Yeah. 
Mm. But, you know, he was a, a right-wing icon. Okay. <laughs> and he was a conspiracy theorist. He believed in, like, the New World Order. Okay. And at the time, he was running as third party for president on the populist ticket, which was the same party that had previously nominated David Duke. Yes, okay. that David Duke. Yes, that David Duke. <laughs> All right. So this guy, yeah. he's something. So he was running on an anti-government, pro-government platform. He he wanted to close the Mexican border entirely. This is kind of what I was talking about. Yeah. You know, he was anti-government except for when it involved, like, policing brown people folks Mm -hmm. so he was running with the the slogan god guns and greats and greats greats what are greats greats. oh did i say grits yeah it's greats i'm a dumb fuck anyway so he wants to talk to randy weaver and agents were so desperate that they're like okay true cabin yeah with a megaphone and randy weaver responded and he yells back that Randy had been shot, Kevin had been shot in the chest, and Vicky was dead. Mm. And this was the first FBI knew about Vicky's death. So Gene Glenn, again, has to break the news mm. to the to the reporters. And the response was similar, but, like, maybe even worse than the Sammy Weaver reveal. Mm-hmm. Like, in the, in the audio, you can hear a reporter gasp. Ugh. <sighs> It's just, it's just big, heavy. And, and the response isn't immediately as violent. Like they hold a silent vigil, but Mm -hmm. it's punctuated by people shouting like this means war and race traitors and you murderers and you'll never kill another woman. And, you know, the crowd is reasonably upset. Right. Yeah. (sighs) That's our, that's, I think we're through most of the big heavy. August 29th, Greitz brought along Jackie Brown, who was a friend and neighbor to the Weavers. Okay. And she'd actually been at the roadblock the whole time. She was one of the crowd. Which I imagine would have been really fucking tough. Yeah. Oof. Like, finding out one by one that, like, your friends had died in this really, really traumatic... Upsetting way. Yeah. That's fucky. Mm-hmm. That's real fucky. So I'm pretty sure she still totally hates the federal government. And like, of the people that hate the federal government, I'm a I'm a say that she got the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Greitz brings along Jackie Brown, and communication was still difficult because the Weavers believed that if they were seen, they'd be shot, mm-hmm. which is fair. And so they'd crouch down below a window to communicate mm-hmm. and. So Jackie was like, fuck it, can I come in? And Randy says, yes, but you have to go around and you have to come alone. So, like, go around the back. And the Weavers had covered all of the windows. Mm -hmm. So it was dark. Kevin was laying in a recliner. He was not doing well. And Vicky's body was still in the kitchen. And this is late August, and I know it's northern Idaho, but it's like early 90s. Mm-hmm. Late August is still hot, hot summer. Yeah. And they don't have AC. They're fucking, like, survivalist prepper family. Yeah, and they have a dead body in there. Yeah. That's so, bad. <laughs> so real, real bad. 
And especially because they were crouching, they basically had to crawl over their mother's body whenever they needed to eat. Mm. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, bad story. So Jackie and the Weavers talked. And she leaves. August 30th, which is the next day. Kevin Harris leaves the cabin to surrender. He's thrown on a stretcher and taken out. I think with a helicopter because that makes the most sense. Okay. That afternoon, Greitz and Jackie come back to remove Vicky's body. So Greitz brought a body bag and Randy helped to put Vicky's body in the bag, mm-hmm. which I can only imagine is the worst shit ever. Then Jackie and Greitz carry Vicky back down the mountain. Jackie tells the FBI that she needs cleaning supplies and she carries them up the mountain and cleans inside the cabin. Well, that's nice of her. Which is... That's a good person thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like even though Jackie is definitely a white supremacist, she's... (laughs) Is it weird to say she's one of the good ones? I think that maybe (laughs) she has conflicting values that make her a good person in some regards. Yeah. That one. We'll go with that. Yeah. So... At the very least, a very good friend. Yeah. So, August 31st. Greitz comes back to the cabin with a plan to remove the remaining Weaver family. Uh, Jack McLam, who was a police officer accompanying Greitz, would grab the girls. Mm -hmm. And Greitz would grab Weaver. And then he'd say a code word for the feds to rush in. Okay. But he hoped to avoid that. He brought a letter Urging surrender, signed by some skinheads Randy knew and respected. Before Greitz made it to the cabin, Randy told them to stop. Mm -hmm. They had been praying all night, and Yahweh told them it was not time to surrender. They would come down September 9th, the Feast of Trumpets, which was the same day Vicky had given as their deadline to finding a home in Idaho. Greitz told Randy that the feds wouldn't wait that long, and he slid the letter under the door. That afternoon, the remaining weavers leave the cabin. Elisheba held in Randy's good arm. <sighs> Randy was put on a helicopter, and his daughter went with Vicky's parents. I saw some footage of that, and it was just it's just such a bummer. Yeah. Like Randy's talking to just whoever, and is like, you'd have seen my wife. She was so pretty. If I knew this was going to happen when I met her, I, I would have, I wouldn't have, you know... <laughs> Oh. And it was just like, oh, baby. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's so hard. It's super sad. So Mike Johnson is the U.S. Marshal for Idaho. He was with Randy on the helicopter. And mm-hmm. he asked if Randy had ever come down off the mountain during that year and a half. Because if he had, then this was all for naught. But he had not. Well, all right. I guess that's something. Yeah. I mean, basically, it would have been substantially more awful Yeah, if he had, and the government had missed him. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the trial and the leftover whatnots. Yes, leftover whatnots. So Chuck Peterson was a local attorney with a decent criminal defense history. He had tried all sorts of weird shit. And Jerry Spence was a flamboyant attorney known for taking big cases and getting big wins. Big wins. Yeah. He was basically the East Coast Kardashian guy. The guy who... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was the West Coast person. Okay. Right. Yeah. Got it. So Peterson 
heard that Spence was thinking about representing Randy Weaver. So Peterson asked to be the co-chair because he figured that he would need local counsel. Okay. You know, help for reasons. When Peterson and Spence first met Randy Weaver, he immediately breaks into tears. Oh, dear. He says, they killed my son. They killed my wife. They shot me in the back. They shot my boy in the back. They shot Kevin Harris. And there wasn't any reason for it. And Spence tells Randy, well, I'm Jerry Spence and I'm here to save you. Mm-hmm. So, prosecuting attorney Ron Howen. He he knew this case would be an uphill battle because especially Idaho can be real far right. Mm-hmm. But he had a reputation as an aggressive prosecutor and this case was not going to be an exception. Okay. Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris were indicted on 10 charges from conspiracy to resisting arrest to first degree murder of Bill Deegan. Okay. The trial begins April 13th, 1993. Four days into the trial, April 19th, 1993, the Waco siege concludes in a deadly fire. That's not good. The same hostage rescue team was there, including Lon Horiuchi. So he's just super involved in white supremacist uh, issues. Waco actually wasn't a white supremacist group. Oh, really? That was a different, a different ball game. Oh, okay. I'm sure we'll get that'll into that. be a completely wild and different story. Yay! That we will get into. Next time. Yay! Next time for Waco. <laughs> okay. So anyway, then. But basically, this happening super assists the defense. Right, of course. Because everybody was thinking the government is overreaching and it's costing civilian lives. Right. That they're using excessive force and da da da. Yeah. But the real turning point was the fourth class mailing. So halfway through the trial, the FBI has already testified, including Lon Horiuchi testifying that he couldn't see anyone at the door when he shot. Okay, interesting. So so his testimony was that he saw Randy and Kevin running back into the house and he shot at the door. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I'm looking at the picture. I got, I'm sorry, I got distracted. No, no, you're good. So all of this has already happened. Mm-hmm. Hohen gets a piece of mail from Washington, D.C. It's a thick package of documents, including interviews with FBI agents that the defense had never seen. Ugh. Which means that the government had been withholding evidence. Right, because for discovery is not supposed to be established mm-hmm. before the trial. Oh, totally. Like, like, it's one thing if you give it to them, because I know, I've heard anyway, that it was like a tactic at one point to, you know, uh, overwhelm the defense with information, share more than you actually need to, oh, or give it, to them, give it to them <laughs> in, like, unreasonable format so they have to search through it forever, but don't they still have to get it before the tr- a certain amount yes. of time before the trial begins? Yes, 100%. The worst piece of evidence was a drawing that was made by Lon Horiuchi on hotel paper the day after he shot and killed Vicki Weaver. Mm. It showed two heads crouched below a window frame, which implied that he had seen Vicky at the door. Right, that he knew. So, Hohen turns it over to the fence, because ethics, but Hohen knew that this kind of meant the case is over. 
Yeah. The judge called the documents the latest transgression in a series of transgressions and fined the government for withholding evidence. Well. He was big pissed. Big pissed, yeah. That's kind of disrespectful to the judge, too. I mean, really, I could see how a judge would take it that way. Mm Mm-hmm. So Lon Horiochi is flown back to testify on the new evidence. Mm -hmm. And he says the figures were Sarah and Randy running back into the house. And he reiterates that he hadn't seen Vicky because the curtains were drawn. Mm -hmm. And Hoenn believes Horiochi, but he still knows that the case is falling apart. There's inconsistent testimony by the government and it's complicated and convoluted. Right. And the case becomes less about Kevin Harris and Randy Reaver's involvement in the death of Bill Deegan and Mm -hmm. more about government negligence and, and even government malice. Yeah. So partially due to the stress of this case and partially due to personal issues, Hohen can't finish the trial. Oh, wow. And his second chair has to take over for the last few days. And the defense didn't even bring any of their own witnesses. They didn't call Weaver or Harris to the stand. They just poked holes in prosecution's arguments. That was their whole And most of the government's evidence and testimony actually supports the defense. Right. So there is kind of a lot of uh, validity to them being in the right. Kind yeah. of, yeah. I mean, at least not the wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't. I mean, I don't at this think... point, outside of their ideological beliefs, isn't the most wrong thing that this family did the husband not showing up? Not show up to court? Yeah. So, so that's what we're about to get into. So, so Spence was also like a super good speaker. He mm-hmm. was, he was very charming and good with the, with the jury. And <sighs> jury deliberations lasted three weeks. Which is the longest jury deliberation, which is, at least at the time, the Mm -hmm. longest jury deliberation in Idaho history. Oh, wow. Three weeks. So Kevin Harris is acquitted of all charges, and he Mm -hmm. walks free. And Randy Weaver was acquitted of all charges related to to the death of Bill Deegan. And most other charges, including the shotgun charges, Mm -hmm. which Spence had argued was entrapment. Okay. But he was convicted for failing to appear in court. Okay. And he serves a few more months in prison. So, yeah. According to the law, (sighs) according to the court of Idaho, the only thing Randy Weaver did wrong was not go to his goddamn court date. Which is, like, probably ethically not the only thing he did wrong, but definitely, ugh. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Well, what I keep thinking about this whole thing is how just unfortunate it is and how it's not only unfortunate because of what happened to that family, both, I mean, both what they caused for themselves and what happened to them, uh, but also how how this is so, I can only assume that this is so, 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 so much fodder for the fire of right-wing extremism and how... I mean, even outside of the moral and ethical issues of how the federal government approached the situation with this family, uh, the pragmatic issues and this just the the problems that they set up for themselves to deal with in the future, like that makes a martyr of that family. And that proves right everyone's concerns about government overreach and... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
It's so yeah. It's so much just bad. Yeah. Like, I almost feel like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I almost feel like the moral of the story more than any, I think the moral more so than don't be, you know, uh, uh, right-wing extremist, which is always a good moral, mm-hmm. uh, is almost even more so uh, the government messing things up creates extremists. Well, and also extremists create extremists. and Yeah. You know, it's kind of the, if you look for it, you'll find it. Yeah. Because the government fucked up. But so did the Weavers. Yeah. Yeah, they're not innocent in all this, although... There's, like... I don't think that... that... I feel like the government is more at wrong because you should hold the government to higher standards. Right, and nothing that any of the Weaver family members did directly justified them dying. No. But, like, does that mean that Deegan deserved to die? I think that there is an assumed risk when you're a marshal. I don't think that he deserved it. But I think That's that true. there's a lot more of an assumed risk when you're a marshal doing an, uh, uh, an activity like that than when you're a teenage boy chasing after his dog. Yeah. But, I mean, again, that said, there's also, like, a more um, extreme consequence when a police officer dies or is killed. Right. You know? And, you know, you kind of technically didn't see that here because of how much the government fucked up. Right, that that kind of mooted the point of you can't shoot. Yeah, like it's entirely possible that if Sammy and Vicky Weaver hadn't died, that they would have gotten first degree murder. Yeah, and maybe they would have deserved it. I'm not sure. I really don't know. Yeah, you know, because until until innocent members of the Weaver family died, the Weavers were the ones that were wrong. Yeah. So, in 1995, Randy Weaver got $100,000 in a government settlement, but each of his three daughters got $1 million each. Very few government officials involved with Ruby Ridge were mm-hmm. given anything more than a slap on the wrist. In fact, very few government officials even got a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. Lon Horiuchi was indicted for involuntary manslaughter. Okay. But the case got tied up and was eventually dropped in 2001. Ruby Ridge was used as fuel to... Oh, look at that. Just what I was saying. (laughs) Yeah. To move the militia movement. Mm -hmm. People began preparing in case of their own Ruby Ridge. Like you would. So the... (laughs) The government set out looking for white extremists and created one, which then created even more. I don't like that. But the good news, after the situation at Ruby Ridge and Waco, Mm -hmm. the government did take a new stance on just waiting people out that are holed up in opposition to the law. See also the standoff with the Bundy family. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. new position is to just literally wait it out as long as it takes? You just wait them out. The government has the resources. Yeah. So just wait. They're holed up. Right. It's just a pointless power struggle if you're trying to force them out on your time. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, when the when the Bundy family thing happened, I was, like, kind of annoyed. I was like, why are you just letting them do that? Mm-hmm. And then the more I did this research, I was like, oh, no, it's really good that you did that. Yeah, just <laughs> let them do their thing. It's fine. Yeah. 
-hmm. And then I finished up with this this last image of the family all together. Mm. I think it's a really great image for just everything that we're talking about. Because this is just a sweet, cute little family. But also, Randy Weaver is wearing a Just Say No to Zog t-shirt. And what is Zog? Zionist occupation. Oh, right, right. That's right. Yeah. The anti-Semitic concept. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it just, again, it goes back to like... Well, I think it just shows how destructive hateful beliefs can be, right? Like... Yeah. It really does. Because it seems like the belief systems of the mother and father, again, even if their legal actions weren't just cause for what happened to their family, that hate bred some nasty shit for them, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I I, I agree with the belief that, like, if you just want to go and live your life and be left alone, you should be left alone. Mm-hmm. But that's only to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. If you're making money, you still got to pay your taxes. Well, I think because we're still living in a, in a, we still are part of a larger community. You can't. Yeah. If part of a larger, if you could completely divorce yourself from having any, from your existence, having any impact on society at large, then it would be valid to completely, completely disconnect, but you can't. Ultimately, it's just one of the facts of life things. We are all interconnected and Mm -hmm. I don't agree with our tax policies and how the government is run and how the government spends our money and how much of the government take or how much of my money the government takes is compared to big corporations and on and on and on. But that also uh, doesn't mean that I don't have a rational understanding of my place within the system and know to an extent that even if I don't agree with it, uh, it's in my own best interest to go along with it as much as I might not like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, which is kind of a, to, to hear myself say that I really don't like, the whole idea that like, even if you don't on an ideological level, I really don't like the idea that, you know, even if you really vehemently don't agree with something that you just have to go along with it for your own safety and well-being. It's like, I don't like that, but that's a fact of life. Well, I mean, you can't just escape society just because you want to. Like I would like to be a millionaire for free, but I don't get to just because I want to. Right. I think that like, there's a lot of stuff that you can vehemently want or dislike. I think and that you just the, gotta live with it. I think that the conflict comes in for me where I think about having the right to try and make your country or your government something closer to what you want it to be, and I don't think people have the right to do that by force. Mm-hmm. Or by harm. Yeah. But I also think that people feel very disenfranchised as far as their ability to do that the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's very, very difficult to enact change on a government that, you know, I I generally support the government, but there's certainly problems that I have mm-hmm. with the government. And I absolutely feel unable to address those problems in any meaningful way. Yeah. That said, fucking white people are like the least that we need to worry about as far as the disenfranchised. Right. And so, like, white people that are afraid of white genocide literally because we're making babies with people that we love. Yeah. (laughs) Like... That is not a valid concern that you get to escape society for. 
No. You can have your white family. That's your constitutional right. But, like, you don't get away from your society just because you live in a society with non-white people. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. (laughs) I don't like this. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I guess let's do our sign-off. Follow us on all the social medias. At Palm Pitch Pod. At Palm Pitch Pod. We have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Patreon and Gmail. And is there anything else we want to Did you say Facebook? Yeah, Facebook. Okay. I don't know if you said that one already. Yeah. We have Facebook. Follow us. It's really not that hard to look us up. Yeah, it's really not. Very Googleable. Very Googleable. Oh, uh, write reviews because that's helpful. Yes, we want to know what we're fucking up. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way you can improve, Alex. It's true. It is true. Anyway, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Love you. Love bye. You bye. <laughs>